Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 182. Thank you for joining us. Thanksgiving is just a day away, and so we return to the kitchen with Colby instructors Laura Roselli Insall and Christina Davin. In addition to discussing family meal traditions, we discuss food allergies, tricks and techniques to ensure that meals are delicious to eat and enjoyable to make, and much more. Last week, the dads had the kitchen. Let's see what the moms have to offer this week. We hope that you'll enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, Colby homeschooling mom of four lads and lasses, liturgical musician, popcorn, and podcast fanatic. And this is Stephen, homeschooling father of five and director of development for Colby Academy. Hi, Stephen. What's a good word? Prioritization. How about that for today? Isn't it, that's like a perennial word. It's like brings to mind many conversations I've had with kids in the household here recently when they're talking about all the things that need to get done. Okay, let's make a list so we can prioritize. All right. This episode, if you're listening to it when it first comes out, is airing right before Thanksgiving. So we thought it would be fun to have a conversation about food and cooking and uh, this time of year, holidays and just winter and so forth. And for that, we've invited Mrs. Laura Roselli Insall and Mrs. Christina Davin, both Colby online instructors to the Colby cast. Welcome ladies. So glad to meet you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yes, it's really nice to be here. Thank you. I've been looking forward to meeting you. Um, let's get to know you a bit. Um, your online students probably know you quite well, but for the rest of us, we'd love to have that opportunity as well. Laura, let's start with you. Would you tell us about yourself and your Colby connection and other bits of yourself you'd like us to know? Sure. Um, I am living in the middle of Missouri with my family. I have four children, um, ranging from 21 down to five. Uh, I homeschooled all of those children. A few have been in public school, little bits here and there, the youngest two, not at all yet. Um, and we'll probably homeschool them all the way through. Um, I came to Colby. I come from a higher ed background, so I taught at the college level for most of my career. Um, and then I decided that I was I was teaching developmental students at the higher ed level and um, was getting frustrated at their lack of preparation and the things they told me about what they had or had not learned or how they had not learned it when they went through K through 12 education. So um, I decided it was time for a change and that I would like to go back into the lower grades and see if I could make a difference down at the lower levels so that I didn't get students at the higher ed level that were severely underprepared for that work. Um, and so that's how I found Colby. And I happened to find a Catholic school, which was even better. So I could be both, you know, my Catholic side and trying to make a difference in the K-12 world. Um, I have been a vegetarian since I was four years old. So a long time now. So that definitely influences um, me and food. We also have lots of food allergies in our house. So another another aspect that greatly influences how we do things in the kitchen. We definitely want to talk more about those all those things you mentioned. I just learned that you are heading up the Lego club this year. We haven't had a lot of conversations about the clubs that Colby offers to its students this year. Tell us a little bit about the Lego club. 
Um, yeah, so it is just a space where kids can come show off their creations. Um, we're trying to have a theme each month. I'm excited for November. Our theme is going to be reenactments. So I've told the stories to think about maybe their favorite Bible story, a scene from their favorite book, um, maybe something they've learned in history, and then see what we can come up with in terms of creations. Um, I know for my homeschooling purposes, we use story of the world um, for our history. And so a lot of times after we read a chapter in the story, then we get our Legos out and we reenact what happened because I find that that helps solidify it for my kids to act it out and to think about the details required to use their little mini figures and tie it into other things. So I'm trying to bring some of that and also just, you know, STEM excitement. So being a STEM educator, I probably steer Lego club, maybe a little more in the, the STEM direction in terms of some of the things that we can do with Legos, but also just building for the the fun of building. Sure. And, and sharing, sharing what you built and learning to listen to others talk about their creations. That's a very valuable. Yeah. Uh, so that can tie into some of our, yes, some of our um, virtues of the month, patience, perseverance, and, you know, things of that nature that we can kind of tie into listening to others. And if something doesn't work the first time, could we try it again? If it falls apart, how could we structure it differently? Yes. Good stuff. That sounds great. That sounds great. Okay, Christina, tell us about you. How did you make your way to Colby and other parts of yourself you'd like to share with us? Sure. So um, my family and I, we live on Long Island, New York, and I come from a very big Italian family. My husband does as well. So food and our faith, I believe, are what brings everybody together in our family. And so my husband and I, we have two children together. My daughter is in fifth grade and my son is in second grade. So big year for him with his sacraments. He's very excited. Um, I joined Colby. So I've been teaching on and off for many years. And I found Colby through a lot of prayer. Um, and I needed something um, where I could be home and and teaching because uh, my husband is in law enforcement and the military. And so with his schedule, um, I need to really be available for my kids if they're sick or days off and things like that. Um, and so a lot of prayer was going into I love teaching, but I need to do something where I could be available for my family. Um, and relevant radio came on and was advertising Colby. And I was like, okay, God, I'm hearing this a lot. <laughs> like this is really coming through. And um, so, yes. Yeah, so this is my second year with Colby. I'm a first grade teacher. I'm also a team lead for pre-K through two. And I am also doing the clubs and I have um, helped, um, build the asynchronous K through six music program and PE program. So lots of different hats, but my main hat is first grade teacher here. Which clubs do you do? Yes. So I run the um, fitness and fun club for kindergarten through second grade. Um, and I also do music and movement kindergarten through second grade. And um, it's just a fun way to meet up for live class. 
um, 30 minutes um, biweekly and um, get to, in our music program, we do a lot of liturgical learning, matching our beautiful um, hymns and songs that we tie in into um, our liturgical year, but then also adding in movement so they can understand rhythm and different instruments and just a really fun um, getting them that exposure to music and our beautiful Catholic songs. Um, and then fitness and fun is me in my living room, you know, jumping around with the kids, having them go on scavenger hunts through their house, getting them moving, um, and just having a lot of fun and getting them the morning wake up wiggles out. Okay. Can I just jump in and say that we hear Mrs. Davin in our house frequently because my kids are in both of her clubs as well as both of her music and uh, PE classes, the asynchronous courses. So Mrs. Davin is a big part of our life, whether she realizes it or not. And she is referenced daily in our home. She's part of the family. Um, love it. She is. She's part of our family. And we love the music that you have chosen. So the priests is playing in the background now. I had not heard of the priests previously, but after this last month, they are playing in the background of our home most of the time. Oh, I love that. I love that. It's a beautiful program that, you know, a lot of people worked hard to put together those asynchronous for our, for our lower kids. And I'm just, that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Well, I'm going to need those recommendations. I love to collect those sorts of things. Those are among my collections. Like Dr. Hassler puts out music recommendations to his high school students. And now that I know that you do the same for your younger students, I'm going to want to know that too. (laughs) And I didn't realize that there were asynchronous programs in in, um, PE and music. I was aware of the art, but not the other. So yes, they just started this year. Now my wheels are turning because I'm curious about all the things that you just mentioned. But today we're talking about food and cooking, kitchen related business, that sort of stuff. So Laura, how would you describe your food slash cooking slash kitchen related interest and needs and so forth and how those came to be? So I will say that my mother and my grandmother were very utilitarian cooks is the best way I could say it. Dinner was on the table every day. Um, It was a lot of casseroles. It was a lot of you know, like you, you have the recipe cards on your index cards and you follow these recipes exactly. And I appreciated that food was on the table. I mean, we had home cooked meals, you know, almost daily, but there didn't seem to be a lot of joy. And my father and my grandfather also cooked, but not often, but when they did cook, it was full of joy, you know, and they experimented and they had fun with their cooking. And so growing up, I don't think I realized it as I was growing up, but then when I started in my own home, I kind of realized, is there a way to combine these? Because yes, I do want to have food on the table every day. But I also, if I'm going to do this every day, I want it to bring me joy. I don't want it to be just a chore that needs to be done. Um, And so I would say that's sort of kind of what led me to my style. My grandfather and my father also never had a recipe, also the Italian part of where the Roselli comes from would be my father and my grandfather. Um, So that probably, you know, has something to do with it. But there was never a recipe. If I said, hey, how do you make this? They never handed me a book. They said, oh, come here, come here and let me show you. And so it was all about the way things look, the way things feel, the way things taste. Um, 
And I think that that was such a blessing to me to have that in my life because then we have all of the food allergies. And I, in my 20s, struggled with some things that caused me to limit my food. And so I had to learn. And again, what a blessing in my life that I had to eliminate so many foods myself when I did not have young children to be worried about. Because then when I had a baby that had severe food limitations, I already had the skill set to be able to adapt and to be able to use the kitchen in a way that had I been a recipe follower, I don't know what I would have done because there aren't recipes that say you cannot eat any of these 15 things because all of the recipes that I can find have at least one of those 15 things in them. Um, and so I had to be able to know, to use what I had learned about how things work together, about how things taste, about how they should look to make them do something. I will also admit I break all of the rules when it comes to baking. I hear people all the time say, well, in cooking, you can experiment, but in baking, it's a science, it's chemistry. It has to be exact. You need to get your scale out and measure. I don't measure. I mean, I measure some, but I don't, you know, flatten my dry ingredients. I don't measure anything. Again, I'm not afraid to alter a quote unquote recipe because I don't, I don't have a lot of them. Um, and again, I, we talked earlier, I do have a little bit of a chemistry background. So maybe I just understand a little bit about how like those reactions, like I know what reactions need to take place. Um, and so I can say, okay, well, what is the purpose of this ingredient in this recipe? Um, and so I will say that, I'll, uh, that I do a lot of that understanding, you know, does this provide acidity? Is it providing leavening? Is it providing eggs is a big one that we have to avoid. And so eggs do a lot of things in baking. Um, and so knowing in that particular recipe, what the egg is required for can help you to make a substitution um, around it. Also being vegetarian in the middle of Missouri in the nineties, um, and the early 2000s was not exactly an easy thing. I am right in the heart of meat and potato land. Um, and so when I went away to college, I found it quite difficult to feed myself. The cafeteria at my college was not great in my dorms in terms of providing alternatives. And then also just when I had my own apartment. Um, so I, again, I needed to be able to learn to adapt recipes that I could get my hands on to fit my needs. Um, and so I will say tying it back into Catholic, like we try to tell lots of people like meatless Fridays do not have to mean fish. There is a whole world out here of uh, meatless meals that you can do on Fridays. You know, you can celebrate vegetarian cooking without it automatically turning to, so it must be fish. So I think all of those ways okay. are what led me to, I love to cook. I love to bake. I love to feed people. I do have the Italian blood that loves to feed people and to show love through that. But then also necessity, need. We're teachers. My husband is a teacher. I'm a teacher. So budget, cooking for ourselves is a, you know, a huge budget saver. And then with all the allergies, like I said, it's it's a necessity in our household to be able to do that understanding what's going on and how you can adapt it to what you need. For me, it sounds like for you as well, that that has in, contributed to it being a more enjoyable experience and certainly uh, fulfilling, I think. Yeah. 
Okay, Christina, what about you? How would you describe your own, um, you in the kitchen, how would you describe your kitchen-related self? Yes. So again, it brings me back to my childhood, um, growing up in an Italian household. Um, there was never a time where my mom or my dad said, no, 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 let us work in the kitchen. You know, it was always come on in, come help, like wash your hands, start prepping with us, you know, here, start grading this, start doing that. So I grew up with, um, never feeling like, okay, the, the adults are the only ones in the kitchen and allowed to help. It's normal for all the kids to be involved in the cooking and preparing, even if it's setting the table and, you know, something like that. Um, so my husband grew up in a very similar um, household. And so when we had kids, we, you know, we both enjoy cooking. We both come from um, families that have, wonderful, you know, family recipes that have been handed down to us. We now like create our own family recipes and things like that. But it was never, um, we always, I mean, ever since my kids were babies, it was, you know, no, no, like you can't be in the kitchen right now. Like I have to cook. It's okay. Come on. Let's get the, get the chair. Come on up. You know, let's get you, go ahead, get your hands all messy. Go ahead. And it's the same thing that Laura said. There's never, when you have kids involved with the cooking, you're not going to follow a recipe either. It's just, you know, the joy of it and the love of it and the connections that you're making with your family. Um, and then they feel so proud when you're sitting down at the table and they're like, wow, like, okay, we helped make this. Like, you know, my husband will come home from work and, you know, my daughter will be like, I, I got the cucumbers and I did this. And my son will be like, I helped mommy do this part. And, you know, it's just, it gives them that, that pride and that um, sense of responsibility that they, you know, helped in making this. And it just makes it for just creating such wonderful memories. Um, so we, especially during the holidays, we, spent a lot of time in the kitchen preparing for holidays um, so that we're not cooking, you know, the day of, so we could still enjoy each other's company and things like that. So a lot of prep goes into um, our holiday cooking leading up to it. And yeah, like it's like Laura said, it's, it's just spreading the love and um, creating those joy, joyful memories. I love how that's like living alongside each other. This is part of what we do. It's not just segmented. Yeah. yeah, I love that. Yeah. Well, since this episode is airing around the time the holidays are, it's, you know, upon us here, Advent is beginning when this episode airs and Christmas season and the winter season following that um, ordinary time into Lent, just the, just the winter season for those of us in North America anyway. I know we have Colby listeners around the world. Anyhow, what about those times of year? You mentioned some make ahead for the holidays. Let's start there. Could you tell us a bit about that make ahead strategy that you have for those times? Yeah. So um, something that both of our family, my husband's family and my family do um, being Italian families is Christmas Eve is um, the feast of the seven fishes. Um, and so a lot of food <laughs> it's a lot of food and so we need to do a lot of prep work um and so we learned from both our grandmothers you know how to 
kind of just set aside each day to prepare, you know, each meal. Some of them you have to do like the morning of kind of thing, but we both learned that, you know, this is, this is kind of how, how it goes, you know, to, to prepare for Christmas Eve. Um, it's a big, um, family tradition for both of our families. We actually merge all of our family, like everybody, my side, his side, everybody comes together for this. Um, his Nona has passed. Um, and so just keeping that tradition alive for our family and having the kids involved is just, it's so beautiful. Um, so yes, lots of prepping beforehand where, you know, slowly start, I start in the beginning of December where I start to gather like, um, uh, ingredients for recipes needed and things like that. But then it's, it's leading up that week too, you know, ordering all the stuff that we need from the seafood market and having it all stored. Everyone's, you know, fridges are cleared and we got to get everything squeezed in as best as we can. Um, and then having the kids help out, you know, they're, they're helping shucking the clams and saving the clam juice and, you know, getting their hands all in there with the, the breadcrumbs and, you know, um, everything like that. And then the morning of it's, okay let's let's now cook it all we have it all prepped you know everything's ready to go and we just have to cook it um so yes doing stuff like that baking ahead of time is really huge um especially being a teacher being a mom and wanting to include my kids in the baking you know for the neighbors treats for the neighbors treats for you know community helpers and things like that our church um so we do a lot of baking like on the weekends and then we have all our little cookie baskets ready to go to send them off, you know, um, the week of, but we make it part of our Advent experience and part of, you know, the joyful time of, you know, Jesus is going to be born soon. Like let's prepare and, you know, spread, spread joy and get everyone excited for this. I was not aware of the feast of seven fishes. Yes. What does that look like? So the feast of the seven fishes is different for every Italian family and different parts of Italy. Sometimes they do 13 or 10, uh, but seven is pretty popular. Um, seven is very um, special in the Bible. God created the world in seven days. There's seven sacraments. Um, so, um, in the Italian culture, we we believe that Christmas Eve is a time for fasting. Um, so we go ahead and we have all our meals. We have we prepare seven different fish dishes um, to prepare to prepare for Jesus's birthday. Um, and it all the recipes don't have to be exact. Like everyone has to do the same seven. It's more of what's your family tradition. Um, so. You know, we typically there's the bacalao, um, cooked scallops, a shrimp saffron, a very popular one that we always, always do is linguine and clam sauce, um, shrimp cocktail, baked clams, um, calamar or squintili. So anything that you can get, you want to try and get those, those seven different fishes um for the christmas eve celebration and it's it's just a lot of fun sounds like it one right after the other or are they all on the table at the same time what's that look like yeah so it's it's done in parts <laughs> um 
So you can do it many different ways. You could do it like a buffet style where it's all out and open and um, people can grab and pick as they want to. Um, there's, there's lots of picking. Uh, we do a big anti-post plate. Uh, <laughs> lots, lots, you should never leave um, Christmas Eve feeling hungry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes, but we like to do it kind of like in courses. So um, we will put out some of the shrimp cocktail and baked clams and um, scallops first. And then that while we're doing that, the pasta is boiling and things like that for the linguine. I'm trying to imagine this. And I'm trying to imagine like the scurry of activity in the kitchen happening. <laughs> stuff's going out and then there's still stuff happening. Yeah. Yes. My husband and I did have the the honor of being in Italy over Christmas one time. So we visited Rome and we were there on Christmas Day. And uh, there would, was a foreign exchange student when I was in high school that I had remained in contact with and was still friends with. And so he knew that we were there. He had picked us up from the airport. And so he invited us to um, spend Christmas with his family. And so the way he invited us is, oh, do you want to come over for lunch on Christmas Day? We said, sure. I mean, that, that'd be wonderful. Thank you so much. And so we got there and he had this enormous table set up in his house. And we realized like his whole family was coming. And so he said, he's, his words actually were, do you want to join us for a light lunch on Christmas? And we said, sure. So we showed up at around 11 um, and about noon, the food came out. So they brought some food and it was sandwiches and, you know, like, like antipasta kind of stuff and the light sandwiches. And so we thought, okay, well, this is, this is lunch. And so, you know, we made our plate and then they took that away and they brought another course and we thought, uh-oh we thought this was it. So, you know, we had sort of loaded our plates thinking this was lunch. Um, so that started about noon and we did not get up from that table until after nine o'clock that night. <laughs> oh, that oh. meal went from noon until nine and it was just course after course after course of food. It was the most incredible experience I have ever had with all of his extended family and I mean, it was just, it was amazing. Absolutely amazing. And the prep work that I know had to have gone into that because it was not like there were people missing from the table for large amounts of time. So I wasn't privy to the prep part of it, but it must have been prepped. I know they had two kitchens because I saw that on the way in. And so, um, because like I said, it wasn't like people were leaving and going and cooking something and not present at the table with everyone else. It was incredible. Wow. Wow. And that would have been after the feast the previous evening, right? Probably. I, I mean, I, I wasn't there for Christmas Eve, so I don't know for sure, but wow. And I wasn't aware of the, the seven uh, fishes one at the time that I was there. So I, I'm now aware, but I wasn't then. So I didn't know to ask whether they had done that the night before. <laughs> Love that, that festivity. That's amazing. Well, what, what does the holiday prep look like for you, Laura, with your array of circumstances? We're trying to sort of still figure all of that out. Um, I did not grow, I did not grow up Catholic. And so um, our, my traditions were very different than my husband's traditions were just because, you know, we grew up in a different environment. So again, I grew up in a very utilitarian household. So for us, Christmas was like continental breakfast, stuff for sandwiches put out on Christmas day. Like we didn't have a big meal around Christmas. We had Thanksgiving 
but again, most of my family was meat eaters. And then my dad and I were not meat eaters. So that was also sort of a negotiation around what does Thanksgiving look like? So as an adult, you know, there's been a lot of kind of coming together of that. So we're trying to figure out still what our traditions are going to be around food. I will say that my husband's family is from South Texas. And so my husband's memories when he got to spend time down in Texas with his family um, for Christmas was always tamales. And so his grandmother would make enchiladas and tamales. And that was their big, you know, Christmas day. Well, with a corn allergy, that was something that we couldn't do in our house. And I know he was missing it. So a few years ago, we did look, look it up, and we realized that you can make a tamale-like dish using sorghum flour and banana leaves. So the banana leaves take the place of the corn husks, and then you can mix the sorghum flour, and it steams in a similar way to the corn. So it, it's not the same, but it is similar. So um, we did that. And I know that that meant a lot to my husband, you know, to kind of be able to relive that Christmas tradition for him. It, it's a lot of work. I will say it is not a, an easy process to making tamales for a large group of people. Um, but that was, that was really fun to be able to do that. And then otherwise we, again, we, we just sort of one year we had pasta for Thanksgiving because that's what people like. Also, I know most traditional holiday meals center around meat. And then there are the side dishes. So every year it's sort of uh, in our house, what is our theme? What do we want our theme for a holiday meal to be this year? Because again, I grew up eating the Thanksgiving sides, which is fine. There's nothing I like Thanksgiving sides, but it all sometimes almost feels like it's an afterthought. Like you just get to eat the salads. Um, you know, and, and I don't necessarily want my kids thinking that that's what holiday meals are. So I wouldn't say we have a set tradition because we like to explore, you know, so every year it's kind of an adventure of what is this year's theme going to be? Is there something that maybe is more involved that we don't get the time to do normally in our regular lives, like tamales, like because the prep work is too much or because, you know, it's not something I can put on the meal or on the table during a weeknight. Um, and so we look for things like that every year. And then the baking, we do a lot of baking too. I mean, we bake, like I said, we bake all of the time anyway. Um, I was telling you, you know, my kids didn't realize that cookies or cake could be purchased from a store. Like <laughs> they think that's funny because, or muffins or anything, because we just, we bake all of the time. I try to have something on Christmas morning, um, some sort of a pastry. That's sort of my thing is to have something and not complicated, right? Like, again, I have a lot of children running around, so I don't want to be up at three o'clock in the morning making pastries for everyone. But, you know, a can of crescent rolls will go a long way if you doctor them up to make a pastry or this year we've been into a lot of sheet pan pancakes. We finally figured out how to successfully do that eggless. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that was a little bit of a struggle at first. I was not successful with it, but I have found a recipe now and we have been using it for garlic bread. If you leave out the sweet parts and make it savory, we've used it for a quick pizza dough because um, you make a big tray of it and then you can bake it, take it out, top it, Everybody can make, you can cut it into the pieces and then everybody can top their own, stick it back in the oven under the broiler to make pizza um, or cheesy garlic oh, bread. That's genius. 
But so um, sometimes we also try to decorate our focaccia or our pizza with, you know, things to make art, to make pictures, you know, maybe we'll have a Star Wars theme or we'll have a theme. So I'm imagining this year for Christmas, it's probably going to be a decorated sheet pan pancake. I'm not sure um, what we're going to decorate with yet or, you know, what we'll do, but that's kind of in my mind where we'll go this year. Is that a link you can share with us or have you like adapted your recipe or is it something that we could drop in our show notes? Yeah, it's, um, it's actually, I think it's, I think it's called, I think it's mommy's home cooking, but I can send it to you for sure. I found a recipe on, on her site that has been working fantastic for us. That'd be great. We've made some alterations because, you know, we usually do, but yeah, my husband thinks he might be lactose intolerant now, but he's not sure it doesn't, all dairy doesn't seem to be bothering him just some. So we're still in the midst of trying to figure out is baked milk okay? Is baked milk not okay? Is baked yogurt okay? <laughs> so we've made many different recipes. I usually do one with cinnamon and one without, so I can tell a color difference. So I know what has dairy and what doesn't have dairy. Nice. <laughs> Genius. So do you all have to be careful about gluten or is that not among your things? You so to watch we for? did for many, for probably four years, we were gluten-free um, with my son, but then he outgrew the the wheat. He outgrew the wheat allergy. So that has opened up our world significantly. Yeah. The problem now is um, we've discovered he has an anaphylactic reaction to sesame. And I don't know if you've read about the new sesame, like it's now an allergen. And so um, uh, one of the ones that needs to be labeled. And so a lot of companies have decided rather than cleaning their equipment so that they can say that it is sesame free, they're actually adding a little bit of sesame ground sesame flour to their products. Um, because then they can definitively say that it does contain sesame and it's cheaper for them to do that. So now the amount of baked goods to be purchased is very, very small. So we, we bake our, all of our own bread now. Last Christmas Eve, actually, my son had an anaphylactic reaction. That was his anaphylactic reaction to sesame was on Christmas Eve of last year. And so now he won't eat sore bread, even if it's safe. He just, he's, he's scared of it. Mm-hmm. So um, I was not familiar with the sesame thing. Good to know. Uh, my daughter has fortunately not had that reaction, but to sesame, but she was warned that she would if she ate sesame. So, so I'll have to keep an eye out for those, those things. It's she in also... a lot of things that it did not used to be in. And it, and it used to be that usually if sesame was in thing, it was the seed. Mm-hmm. And so people knew if it has seeds on it, don't eat it. But now they're grinding it and they're putting just a little bit, but they're putting a little bit in as flour. So you can't tell it's not, you won't see the seed. Um, and what I read was that the concern was that most hamburger and hot dog buns were free of sesame previously. So a lot of kids who did have sesame allergies knew that hamburger and hot dog buns, unless they saw the seeds on them were safe. And that's not the case anymore. So a lot of children who don't have access to the packaging at things like picnics and places where they've known, oh, I can eat that hamburger or hot dog bun. That's where they're seeing a lot more reactions in people. So just needing to be careful about that one. That has been our our new adventure. And we have now become bread bakers, which was not part of our previous. My so my daughter also has celiac, so probably she's she's not going to have to worry about that too with a lot of that stuff. But we'll keep an eye out for those. Yes, for sure. Any other Advent or Christmas specific um, traditions or 
things like that, that they don't have to be food related and that you and your families like to do? Say one of my husband's favorite traditions that we do with our kids is he's taken the um, the Christmas story and he's split it up. So our kids have usually they have some sort of a secular advent calendar as well because it's just fun for them. But we want to make sure that it doesn't turn into just a secular advent calendar. And so we also have you know one that has little drawers in it. And so he's split the Christmas story up into the twenty five days so that we read a little part of it each day out of the box. And then he's also included some of the um, special Advent prayers or the feast days or the antiphons or other things on those little slips of paper. And so every day it gives us a chance to together to open the Advent calendar and then to read part of it and kind of keep it in our mind every day throughout um, at least December. I mean, now he split it up just over December, but um, yeah, that's something that, that we enjoy. Something that my family does, um, we started this, my husband and I, because um, the very, very popular Elf on a Shelf came to be about. Um, and we just were not finding um, that we wanted to do naughty things and encourage naughty behavior with the, the Elf on a Shelf. Um, so something that we did, we found a book. It's very hard to find now. I wish it was more available for people, but I found this book called um, The Christmas Angel and it came with a doll, a little stuffed animal doll. And so anyone can adapt this um, to their house, but it's a little, you know, all you would need is a little angel doll um, and you can touch this angel doll. Um, and instead of doing things um, in the storybook, it talks about how, she was too little to fly to Bethlehem. But what she was able to do was spread joy because she was the littlest one flying behind everybody. She was able to spread joy all through the houses during Advent to lead up to Jesus's birth. And then she finally, you know, made it to that joyful day. Um, so we have adapted our own tradition and created our own with this little angel stuffed animal. Um, you know, we hide her in different places where the kids can, you know, find her in the morning, whether it's in a rain boot or on the mantle. Um, and with it comes a little, we we type up some random acts of kindness or some prayers um, and we attach it to our Angie, the angel, we call her. Um, and it tells the kids, okay, this is what you're going to try and do today. Um, you know, one of the ones that we do is um, make little notes um, saying the Christmas lights on your house are beautiful. We love them. You did a great job and sticking a candy cane on. And we go look around at the Christmas lights and we stick them in people's mailboxes. Um, you know, leaving, leaving sweet notes for maybe their teachers or their friends, um, holding the door for someone, all random acts of kindness. So trying to promote the, the joy and, you know, the virtues of that we can incorporate through Advent instead of all of, you know, the silly naughty and things. And, you know, at first my kids felt a little left out, like, but everybody has, you know, and but now they're so proud that they have, you know, oh, we have the angel bow and we get to 
oh, we get to do this and we get to do that and all this stuff. And um, so that's something that we've we've kind of um, started our own little family tradition that we really enjoy doing. And, you know, the kids, they love once the tree's set up, they know like the next day, like, oh, Angie's going to be here. Like our angel, our angel's coming. And um, so that's something that we really would love to do with our kids every year. Love that. I love that too. I think we might try to incorporate that this year. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, that's neat. And I, I love the reaching outward dimension of it where you, yeah, I think that's neat. Stephen, do you all have any Advent Christmas traditions that you all look forward to? We're still developing. I mean, so the, my favorite tradition that we've developed just has to do with Christmas morning Legos. So when you keep talking about Legos, it's at one, at one point when my children were relatively small, I decided I'm just, you know, rather than so I get to have fun building some Legos, but setting it out like a big Lego scene, you know, out by the the stockings or whatever for for them, which they loved right away. And then so that's become a yearly tradition. And now my fourth child who loves building Legos helps me build that so we can put that out together. So I think for a fun thing, that's but that doesn't have that's not a lot of liturgical sort of things. It's just a lot of fun tradition that we've had, but uh, food has always been interesting because of all of the, as we're talking about cooking here, you know, my, I have a lot of Norwegian in my background. So there was this tradition for lutefisk and lefse and, you know, meatballs and gravy and potatoes and rutabagas and things like that growing up. But Lutefisk is actually disgusting, it turns out, you know, so if you've ever had to have it. <laughs> Some people really love it. So I've just offended all of my family, um, <laughs> all of my extended family. Not a, but it smells really bad and it's like a fish jello sort of thing. So we kind of cast that off, but we haven't replaced it with with uh, necessarily anything that's uh, that's good yet. So we're, we're, we're likewise still kind of with all the food allergies, trying to figure out what can everybody eat that they enjoy. And we can do this year after year and um, so still working on it. I think there's a lot of value to that, that adaptability, that, that it doesn't have to be like, we have to do these things or it's not Christmas or because that obviously life doesn't go that way. You know, things change, people have different needs and circumstances change and that adaptability is really important for that. It helps us detach from the things that are not the primary focus of the of the liturgical celebration. I think, I think that keeps it helps helps keep it more um, front and center, which is, of course, what we're trying to do, right? Thank you, Bonnie. Once again, you make me feel good about something. That I'm doing. <laughs> but, oh, yeah, that's I'm doing the right thing. Thank you, that's Bonnie. Right. The, keep your focus. Keeping the that's focus right. on the on the. Season. Happy to help. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say, I think our tradition, what we're trying to do with, with ours is that our tradition will probably never morph into, we're going to have the same thing every time, which for some families works wonderfully, you know, and I think that that's great. And I know, like I said, it works beautifully for some families, but for our family, I just don't know that it is because our allergies do evolve over time. And, and because we, we've just learned that we never know what, you know, what's going to, what the next year is going to bring for us. And so I think just having the tradition of 
let's try something new. Like that is our tradition is every year. Let's maybe know that Christmas is going to be the day that we're going to try something that we've never tried before. Um, and attempt something we've never attempted before is its own tradition. And, and I found that my husband over the year gets really excited. He'll see a recipe and then he'll kind of get a little disheartened, you know, cause he'll think, Oh, well that's too involved. And then he'll be like, Oh, but it could be our Christmas. Like, Oh, I forgot, but this could be the thing we attempt at Christmas this year. And so sort of that throughout the year, knowing that maybe a couple of times a year, maybe Thanksgiving, maybe Christmas, that there could be those times where you could be more adventurous and try something that you haven't tried before. And you're all in it together. It's something that you're doing. It's a collaborative thing among you, your family. That's neat. Build that connection. Yeah. I think I've mentioned before in, I think an episode with the Holy Heroes parents, Ken and Carrie Davis, and that was a while ago. Um, the Jesse tree. I, we do a Jesse tree hit or miss. Let me just say we are hit or miss. The neat thing I love about that our Jesse tree, though, is it was a the uh, kind of core of the ornaments that we have. It was a swap that we participated in. We got a bunch of people together. Need to get those ornaments out and and think of the people who made those ornaments and and pray for them as as we're hanging the the ornaments on the tree. And I have a, a book that shows that's it's a meaningful thing to me and and our um, family. So there's that. Kind of um, similar to you, what you, it just sparked something that I didn't even realize is something that we do as a family. Um, you know, you get all those beautiful Christmas cards in the mail from different families and friends that you know. Um, and, you know, we hang them up around the house and we love, you know, seeing them and seeing how their kids have grown or what they're up to this year. Um, but something that we like to do is um, I have my daughter and my son will, um, I keep them in a basket um, and they will pick out each a card randomly. And those will be our prayer intentions for the day, those, those families. And then once we've prayed for them, prayed for them that day, um, then they get hung up um, to be like shown in our house. So that's something, you know, um, little that we've, um, just incorporated into our Advent season. And um, my kids always look forward to, you know, just going in and rummaging through and picking out a card and, oh, okay, this is who we're going to pray for tonight. I love that. It has been years since I sent a Christmas card. So I'm so grateful for all the Christmas cards I receive. <laughs> like, thank you for sending me one. I'm not sending one this year, but <laughs> love seeing yours. Yeah. I guess one other thing we do is that to keep the focus on giving at Christmas, my kids, we always have the little kids make gifts for family members. And so that's a fun thing every year to start thinking about, okay, what, what are they like really into this year and how can we incorporate that into a gift? So like my kids are very into painting and drawing this year. So I'm thinking something along the lines of making stickers out of contact paper, clear contact paper, and then being able to put them on something like a vase or a, you know, utensil crock or something so that the kids artwork can be displayed, but that they feel a lot of ownership over that instead of just purchasing something to give to someone that they know that they helped to create it and that they're thinking about the person that they're drawing for or whatever. So that's another thing that is kind of big for us every Christmas season is just that planning of what is it that we're going to do this year. It's meaningful to the to the recipients as well as the creators. That's neat. Yeah. Well, I'll say this for myself and anyone else who needs to hear it when this episode's coming out. We've got a 
a couple of weeks to St. Nicholas Day for those of us who celebrate St. Nicholas Day on December 6th. It always sneaks up on me every year. It comes every year, but it always is a surprise. So here's a little advance warning. St. Nicholas Day is approaching. <laughs> um, okay. So outside of Advent and Christmas, do you have an, one or two favorite recipes or meals that you want to share with us before we sign off for the day? Any go-tos? I will go ahead and share um, a really awesome prepare ahead of time meal that um, kind of goes along with what Laura was saying, how uh, meatless Fridays doesn't have to just be fish. Um, so this is something that my whole family loves. It's a three bean crock pot chili. Super easy. Um, you take two cans of each three of the three of the beans. Um, so I do a white bean, a black bean, and a kidney bean. Um, and then a jar of your favorite salsa, or if you make your homemade salsa, you could do that, but I just throw in a salsa. Um, tomato paste. Um, a 24 ounce can of crushed tomatoes, a can of corn, if you want that little bit of crunch in it, um, seasoning like chili powder, garlic powder, onion powder, um, anything that you really want to throw in there, just throw it in. Um, and then am I missing anything? I don't think I'm missing anything, but I'm going to have to check my recipe. Um, and I put that on low for eight hours. And it's just one of those like hearty comfort foods. Um, sometimes my kids are, oh, like chili. Okay. <laughs> and I'll throw it on some corn tortillas or something uh, and make it like a cheesy chili quesadilla for them or make them, you know, nachos with it or something like that. Um, but it's something that I really like to do because it's super quick. I could throw it all in the crock pot in the morning and then it's ready to go for dinner. Give to yourself. That's already going. So I'll say we, I try to do a lot of um, prep cooking or batch cooking. I would say uh, just because, you know, I have some full days and I don't always have time. And again, I have to cook every meal, every like, every meal of every day because of our allergies. And so it can be overwhelming at times. So we have tried to adapt. Uh, we cook every other day. So I, I plan every dinner is two nights. So we cook one day and then we eat it that night. We eat it again the next night. And so my family has just gotten used to the fact that you will not have a different dinner every night of the week, that everything we eat, we will eat twice. Um, and sometimes we can even extend that. So when I have a really busy week coming up, we like to do bowls. So we'll make a big thing of rice, um, maybe quinoa, whatever grain, you could do pasta, like whatever grain type product base you wanted or combinations thereof, but you can make a bunch of it at once. Even oats, we sometimes do it with savory oats. And then on the weekend, for example, we will prep um, toppings. So we will make crispy tofu cubes and we will prepare different, like um, maybe different kinds of beans, uh, maybe some homemade refried beans, or maybe just open a can of beans, or again, for meat eaters, you know, cook some meat different. I don't know what kind of meats people would want to put in this since that's not my sphere, but I've heard of people doing the different meats and then we'll prep different vegetables and then usually some sauces. And so we usually have like some tzatziki if people want to do Mediterranean and we'll have some hummus and we'll have some different Asian sauces and we'll have salsa and sour cream available and just chopping the vegetables, pre-cooking any vegetables that you want cooked 
And this can sometimes last us four or five nights. So if you know you have a, a busy week, like a busy five days ahead of you, we'll just prepare it over the weekend. And then all week you can eat the same thing, but because you have different things available, you can combine them in different ways. So the family doesn't feel like oh, I'm eating the same meal every night. So they can have Mexican one night and then they can have hummus the next night and they can have Asian the next night and they can come back. And some of the combinations that the kids put together are just wacky. I mean, they are just fusion like you have never seen. <laughs> but you know what? Like if they like it and they get to pick, it's that ownership. So they get on their stool around the kitchen island. We have all of the stuff on the island, you know, and then we just go around and say, okay, you put in what you want to put in. The only rule is if you put it in, you're going to eat it. Like you can't put it in and then throw it away because you didn't like it. So think about what combinations you want to put together. Um, but that's one of our our go-tos, particularly on busy nights. Um, and then we love our Instapot. Also, I will say we use our Instapot. And we also try when I'm cooking, if I can make a batch bigger, I will. So if we can get more than two days out of it, then whatever's left, I freeze. Um, so we use silicone muffin pans to freeze because they make a consistent sized portion that's relatively easy to put into bags and label. Um, and you know how much, you know, is in each one. So, you know, do I want one? Do I want two? So any leftovers we have, we freeze, we label, and our freezer is always stocked with things. So on a busy night, everybody may not have the same thing, but you can go to the freezer. Everybody can pick what they want to have for that night, or you have a lunch that you need to get ready for quickly. You just go to the freezer and know, and it's no extra work for me that way, you know? So if I can triple a recipe and it's not really that much more work, then I triple it because I'm already doing it. So genius. I love all that. That's great. Helpful for all of our listeners too. That is just where we are right now too, with busy, busy evenings and lots of going on. It would be nice to have an array of things to put stuff together and just, yeah, I think that's so smart. I'm going to give that a try. Cookies also you can freeze, by the way. You can freeze them in the bowls. Make your cookie dough. So we make cookies. We freeze the extra cookie dough bowls. And then when you want to bake them, you just take them out. You put them. You have to cook them an extra two to three minutes to take care of the fact that they were frozen. Sometimes I have to reach in once they've been in for a few minutes and flatten them a little because they tend to hold their shape a little bit more. Um, but we do that all of the time, too, if you want fresh cookies, but you don't want to have to mix your mix them Many, many cookies will freeze. Of course, mine are eggless. I don't know how the eggs will work. I will put that out there, but eggless cookie dough works great to freeze. That would probably slow down the consumption a little bit too. We tend to bake big batches of cookies and freeze them. They're already baked and they go very quickly. <laughs> so if we have to take a little bit more time to bake somewhere, that might just kind of pace us a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> well, it has been so great visiting with you ladies, meeting you and hearing all your fantastic ideas and how you make things work in your households. Uh, listeners, please check our show notes. We'll have a lot of links to all sorts of stuff, um, other Colby Cast episodes related to the topics we've discussed today, uh, recipes, and all sorts of stuff there. So please check our show notes. We would ask you to subscribe to the Colby Cast in your favorite podcast app. You can also check out colby.org/podcasts. Our episodes are tagged with different filters, so you can find episodes on a variety of topics there. So, Laura and Christina, thank you so much for coming to visit with us on the Colby Cast. Please come back soon. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Subscribe to the Colby Cast on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss an episode. 
and let us know how we're doing by leaving a rating or review. And as always, feel free to email us at podcast at colby.org. Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Colby, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.